It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a true titan of basketball. He's a 1971 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee and the first ever NBA MVP, an award he won two times. An 11-time NBA All-Star and a six-foot-nine center power forward who was the number two overall draft pick by the Milwaukee Hawks in 1954. Of course, I am talking about the inimitable Bob Pettit. Mr. Pettit, thank you so much for joining me this morning. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Now, Mr. Pettit, I want to actually start uh, talking about your career as a career of transitions, because your career was one of excellence in spite of and because of some remarkable adjustments. The first was in your rookie year when Coach Red Holtzman moved you from center to power forward. Were you maybe initially a little bit concerned about how your game would would translate from one position in college to another position in the professional ranks? Well, it was not a great concern for me. I, it changed me real quick. We reported to the training camp in Detroit, and uh, we had a, a big, strong center, Charlie Scher, who was a very good player. And he said, uh, Bob, Charlie's our center, and I'm moving you outside to forward. I said, fine, let's get on with it. So um, I moved outside. Now, I had a lot of adjustments to make myself. Uh, since I really never had shot that much from outside. Everything I did in college was with my back to the basket. Here I'm facing the basket, so I had to learn to to move and to set that use the picks that the center would set for me and the other players. And uh, there was a lot of things like how to shoot from outside. Fortunately, I was a, a decent shot to start with, so that was not a great problem. I had no problem shooting. Uh, the jump shot, but um, it, it was a lot of adjustments that I made personally, I think, learning to play that position because there was not a lot of instruction or not a lot of coaching on how to play um, outside like that. So that part was an adjustment, but it went, it went very well. And, you know, fortunately I played with a last place team. And I say that because I got to play every minute of every game. So uh, I learned quickly by trial and error, and if I made a mistake or two or three mistakes, I still played. And I had uh, my coach, first coach was Red Holzman, who was a uh, Hall of Fame coach with the Knicks. Uh, he, he, he didn't make the Hall of Fame coach of the Milwaukee Hawks. We were <laughs> a struggling team trying to get ahead uh, to get started, but um, you know that went very well, and it was to answer your question, it was not a huge transition. That's remarkable. It's remarkable to look back and to think about exactly what that must have been like, because here it was, you're fresh out of LSU with all of these skills and all of this youth and all of this energy. And then you fast forward to your third year with the Hawks when y'all received quite a few new faces, Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagen, among others. And and went on a bit of a magical run to the NBA final in 1957. Well, you did end up losing that year. You got your revenge in 1958. Looking back, what was the main difference from that first crack at the Celtics in 57 to the second time when y'all had the last laugh in 1958? Well, uh, you know, we had a, a, uh, we had a, a good team. The Celtics, uh, had, you know, obviously had gotten Bill Russell. They were just another good team until they picked up Bill, and he came with them, and he made them a great team. Uh, they, we had a really nice series with them in 1957. Uh, we... 
lost in the seventh game in Boston in double overtime. And it was very close, and, and we um, felt that we could play with anybody. We were a really, I thought, a good team. Four of the players on our team were wound up in the Hall of Fame, and Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagan and Slater Martin. Um, and and we so we played the Celtics extremely well, I thought. Uh, they beat us, as I said, in the seventh game in 57 in double overtime. So we go into 58 saying that, you know, we can play with anybody. We're just as good as anybody, we thought. So we played them, uh, went to the finals again against the Celtics, and it was an unusual final because, as I recall, we won two games in Boston to start with. I think we probably won them by a total of the two games, by a total of four, five, six points. And then Boston, uh, and we won one in St. Louis. And then, uh, so now we, we're up three to two, uh, because of those two wins in Boston, we're up three to two going into the sixth game in St. Louis, and we all knew that you know we pretty well had to win that game because if uh, we had to go back to Boston for the seventh game, it would be very tough to win, and particularly to, to beat them the third time in that series. So that was uh, kind of a do or die night for us in the sixth game, and we were you know pretty well prepared for it, and and uh, we played well and and wound up beating them, I think. Uh, 110 to 109, we probably won three games from it in that series by a total of six or seven points. <laughs> it's amazing because in the midst of all of this, you made yet another adjustment to your game, being almost ahead of your time and trying to get to the free throw line and bait your opponents to get into some foul trouble earlier than they might have otherwise done so. Can you talk about the moment you decided that Bob Pettit was going to attempt to get to the free throw line as much as possible? Well, Bob Pettit made two adjustments uh, to his game after the second season. Uh, and I, the first was uh, I analyzed my game and what can I do to get better? Well, there are two things I could do to get better. One was to get stronger. Uh, I, I was probably six nine and two fifteen, and and yeah, I was getting pushed around and, and, and pretty well, pretty easily. So, in uh, in spite of that, I was being fairly successful. But um, that was one adjustment. So I went on a weightlifting program, an exercise with weights program in my home in Baton Rouge in the off season, and I worked hard with the weights. And nobody else in the NBA or anywhere that I knew of in basketball was doing that. In fact, Ben Kerner, who owned the Hawks, got uh, kind of got upset about that because he felt that uh, weights were not good for you. They would make you try to make you muscle bound. I had a long way to go to be muscle bound, but uh, that that was one concern. And so I, I went from 215 to probably 225 in the off season, and I, I became stronger. But the main thing I did was I thought I was stronger, and in my mind I was stronger. So that was a great help. And as you mentioned, uh, I, I felt that the other thing I could do was shoot my free throws, more of them, and have a better percentage. So I worked pretty hard at off-season off shooting free throws, and I, I did shoot a lot of free throws, and I continued to shoot them. And why I did it, because I was going to the basket all the time. Uh, you know, I would, after the somebody from my team would take a shot, and I would get in every single play I got in position for an offensive rebound. I never, ever uh, went back, ran down the court after the ball was shot by one of my teammates. I always got in there and pushed and shoved and, and fought to try to get the ball and put it back up. And uh, and if I was able to get it, 
had to lay it back up all, but often get fouled. So that was one thing that, that led to my getting a lot of more free throws. And the second thing was, as I said, that I would get the ball and I was driving to the basket all the time. And, and I got fouled a lot and I would uh, go up to shoot the layup and kind of jump back a little bit into the player that was guarding me. So it, uh, I would use the, my body to protect the ball, but again, I was much easier to foul. So I, I worked hard at that. And those two things, I think, uh, really helped my game and um, you know over the years because I was uh, at, I was averaging probably I'm guessing eight to ten free throws a game um, I would make you know I was not a great shooter I started out shooting 75 percent as I recall my first year and by this work I was talking about I was finally able to get it up over 80 percent which was a goal of mine to try to do so uh, yes it was a, a strategy to to get free throws, sort of get the other team in foul trouble. But also, if you look back on some of the, the great big players, and I'm not going to mention any, but you look over back, think what would happen if they would have shot 75% of their free throws instead of 55 or 60. I mean, it makes a huge difference in the in the long run in the, the final uh, results of your team. So the free throw line was a very important part of my game. Bob Pettit with us here on the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends of the Game podcast. Mr. Pettit, one final question for you, and it is such a pleasure to spend this time with you today. What does it mean for you to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life? Well, it means, you know, it, it, the Hall of Fame becomes more and more important each year as I get one year older. Uh, you know, when you're first elected to it, it's a great honor, and you're excited about it, but as you look back on your career... Uh, and as you get older, uh, it becomes more and more important, and I think it's very important. I'm I'm very proud to be a member of the Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm very pleased to do it. Uh, Any time they ask me to do something, I work very hard to try to do it. So um, I think that uh, it, it's a great honor and one I'm very proud of, and you know I wouldn't take anything for it. His number fifty LSU jersey was the first in school history to receive. The retirement distinction. He is a two-time NBA MVP. In fact, the first ever NBA MVP, a 1971 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee. He is Bob Pettit. Mr. Pettit, thank you again for a great time. You're very welcome, and it was a pleasure. <laughs>